When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. the rarest of occasions but today rich and i are in the same studio at the same time recording the podcast no zoom no telephones just two guys two microphones letting her rip welcome to the sooner nation podcast i am matt he is rich uh oklahoma basketball continuing to be impressive got its 10th win uh of the season as they get ready to head into conference play now uh recruiting news oklahoma recruiting continuing to just slide right on up the rankings uh, and uh, new transfer coming in for the Sooners with bowl prep time. We're, we're, we're recording this seven days out from Oklahoma's date with the Oregon ducks in the Alamo bowl. So we've got all that to discuss plus true or false with rich leading the way, asking me the questions this go around. So let's buckle up and let's dive right on into this Oklahoma 72 to 48 over Alcorn state. On uh, on Wednesday night, the Sooners improved to 10 and two on the season, six and one uh, at home. Now Oklahoma is off until January 1st, where they start conference play by hosting Kansas State. Uh, Rich, in this game, you've got Tanner Groves with 10, you've got Jordan Goldwire with 11, your boy Mo Gibson leading the way with 17 points coming off the bench. Uh, Ethan Chagua, who is quickly becoming one of my favorite players, eight points in just 15 minutes to lead the bench players. I've got a couple of thoughts here. Uh, the first thought on this is th- this team has completely, emphatically, 100% body in on Porter Mosier and what he is bringing to this program, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. As I was looking at this game on Wednesday night, the thought hit me. I've not seen a team as focused defensively early on in a coach's tenure as what I'm seeing with Porter Mosier. you got to go back to Kelvin Sampson to me to, to get that type of defensive intensity, that defensive focus to start out a game. I mean, they're just, and, and you, you saw that. I mean, Alcorn state for a long time, you wondered if they were going to surpass 10 points in the first half where they got to, they got to 15 at the, at the half. And it seemed like Oklahoma was just kind of laboring to get baskets. But, but you look at the, at the box score and, and you see that, um, that Oklahoma had a pretty good shooting night, 60% from the floor. Um, but this is a defensive first team and it, it just, the hustle, the effort, it all, it all, it, it shows that they've bought in. I do have one complaint, if you will, because I, I'm not disagreeing with your statement up front. This is a group, a starting five mm-hmm. that sets the tone pretty early on after the tip that this is going to be a defensive battle and that if you're going to score points against this Oklahoma Sooners team, they're not going to come easy. You're going to earn a majority of those points. Needless to say, when Porter Mosier has to dip down into the bench, 
utilize a bit of a rotation. There's a lot of inexperience there. And granted, Matt, I, I think this team has bought in to what Mosier is sell, selling largely because there are only four holdouts from the previous uh-huh. era of Oklahoma basketball. You get guys who want to play in this environment. You look at guys who are possibly transferring from a lower tier school up to the prominent big 12, a division one program with a, a certain level of quality when it comes just to the conference in general. Mm-hmm. But we're looking at, yes, a starting five that appears set when you go eight deep on this bench, it seems to take a little bit of a hit defensively. Agree or disagree? No, I agree. But I, I think that um, I think anytime any coach goes to his bench, then you th- there's a reason they're bench players and not starters. You know, mm-hmm. there is a dip, but the the three guys that he's he's mostly leaning on off the bench are C.J. Nolan, true freshman. Ethan Chagua, who's a transfer, Jacob Groves, who's a transfer, and Jacob Groves is is probably the uh, streakiest of all of them because you, a lot of people remember in the exhibition game, Jacob Bro- Groves was six for six from three point range in that exhibition uh, before the season started, and so it set the expectation level up so much higher than where it already was. Of course, he's the younger brother of Tanner Groves, who leads this team in scoring, but Jacob Groves has a lot of a lot of games like he did. Wednesday night where guy played 16 minutes and didn't score a basket. But what he does in altering shots and, and what he does in, in changing, getting the ball out of the hands of the guy he's defending. Those are type of things that Jacob Groves brings that don't really show up on the stat sheet, but it's not, it's not at the same level that a Jalen Hill does it. It's not at the same level that a Jordan Goldwire does it or Elijah Harkless, who I believe was one of the best defenders in the conference. But anytime you go down, you, you know, you go out into your bench, you're losing, you're losing quality because again, there's a reason why that guy's on the bench. There's a reason why that guy's not starting. It's because he is he's not as good as the guy that's, that's ahead of him. Coaches don't make it as far as Porter Mosier has made it in his career by putting the best players on the bench. You you know what I'm saying? So it's, it's just natural to see that in the, in the flow of a game. But again, the end result, while Alcorn state was, um, what what they shoot? Let me look this up. Alcorn state was 30% from the floor Wednesday night. 23.5% 23.5% from three-point range. There's really not – if I'm going to criticize Oklahoma's basketball team this year to this point, to me it's going to be – and it's really kind of a, a hollow criticism, I believe, but they just don't get to the free throw line enough, in my opinion. They, but they don't they don't attack the way that – if there's a guy that's going to get to the free throw line, you want it to be Tanner Groves because you want that guy to be underneath and attacking. But they, they shot 43% from three-point range. Wednesday night, 60% from the floor. So this is a, right now, this is a very good shooting team. And when you're shooting in those percentages, particularly 40 plus percent from three point range, you don't really need to earn trips to the free throw line because you're making six out of 10 shots from the floor. Man, I, I, I want to disagree with you um, in saying this. When we look at the the previous era, when we look at college basketball as a whole, actually, a lot of the play has been dominated by the guards. As we head towards March Madness, as we get into the conference tournaments, 
the play is typically dominated by the guards. This is not a team that is going to do that. And I love the physicality of the game that we're seeing here in the Big 12. And we've seen pretty consistently over the past decade or so, which allows the big men to operate. It allows them to maneuver. It allows them to maybe get away with some things that they shouldn't offensively Mm -hmm. as well as defensively. And I think honestly, that's a larger reason why you're not seeing as many trips to the free throw line. Oklahoma is playing instead of a guard dominated style of play. We've mentioned this several times on this podcast. It's inside out. They're trying to feed the big men. It's what sets up these shooters for uh, lack of a better term here, an uncontested shot from behind the arc. But see, I, okay. So we're going to, we're going to keep this disagreement going then because Look at what Mo Gibson is doing. He was five of nine three point shooting Wednesday night against Alcorn State. He led the team for again. He led the team in scoring with 17 points. Um, Jordan Goldwire was supposed to be that that assist turnover ratio guy, number two in the ACC when he played for Duke last season in assist turnover ratio. Suddenly you're getting scoring from this guy. He's four of six from the floor, and he wasn't supposed to be a scorer. He was supposed to be a guy who just handled the ball and got it got it where you wanted to get get the the, the assist to the big man under the basket. Elijah Harkless, a guard, and leading this team in, in defense, and he shot 50% from the floor. I, I, I understand the premise of what you're saying, but the reality is I do think this is a a team that is led by the guards. It's a three-guard lineup. you got three guards, two forwards, and with Jalen Hill and Tanner Groves being your two big guys, well, the, the guy at the starting five, the guy who took the fewest shots was Jalen Hill, the, the second guy to take the fewest shots was Tanner Groves. Between the two of those guys, you have a combined seven shots. Now, they were five of seven in those shots, but the rest of your shots from your starters came from the guards, where you got um, you got Goldwire with six, Harkless with eight, and Gibson with nine. So I, I think the stats may indicate something different than what you're saying. And, and as I, I do think, I think Porter Mosier is – is really leaning on these guys to take quality shots, maybe not volume shots, but get that good shot. And I, I would go as far to say this, Rich, to, to the two points you've made is I believe as as conference play starts, I really believe the success of Oklahoma's basketball program hinges on two things. The first thing is I think you hit it on the head with bench play. The the bench play because you you know that Mo Gibson's not going to shoot you know, five of nine from the three-point line, uh, from three-point range every game. You know that's not going to happen. You know this team's not going to shoot 60% from the floor every game, especially when they go to Morgantown and they got to play Bob Huggins and and that defense that they play up there. Um, but the bench, what what can you get from an Ethan Chagwa? What can you get from a Jacob Groves? Um, you know, th- those type of, uh, you know, and again, only a freshman. Well, what can you get from C.J. Nolan? Those guys are going to be the guys who really play big factors. Bijan Cortez is not a shooter right now. He's a he's a facilitator. Those, those bench guys, those four bench guys are going to be guys that make a huge, huge difference in the success of this team. But I'll go one one step further to your point, Rich, is that I think the most important guy on this starting five right now for the success of Oklahoma basketball, the most important guy is Mo Gibson. I think when Mo Gibson has nights like he had last night, like he had against Arkansas, um, when Mo Gibson has those type of nights, 
Oklahoma's going to be really, really hard to beat. When you got that guy shooting in that rhythm, I mean, 17 points, 28 minutes, 6 of 11 from the floor, 5 of 9 from three-point range. Mo Gibson is going to be the Buddy Heald, the, you know, that, that guy that when he's on fire, when he's having a good night, it's really hard to defend this team with what they can do under the basket and what they can do at the perimeter. And so I think, I think those two things, the bench play and Mo Gibson are going to be the biggest factors in Oklahoma's success moving forward. One, one question I do want to ask of you, is this a team that's benefiting from not having a go-to star, if you will, not having a guy like a Buddy Heald who's mm-hmm. expected to really carry the offensive load for this team, set the tone and, and facilitate all at the same time. Right. Uh, a team that that just doesn't have this this top tier talent that you're expecting to go in the first round of the NBA draft. Yeah, you, you know, forgive me for bringing up this name, Sooner Nation. I apologize, but one of the things that we really touted Lincoln Riley for was he was a master at finding the mismatch of, of his opponent. Where is the mismatch going to be against the opposing defense? And Porter Moser is kind of doing that same thing with his starting five. Obviously, Tanner Groves is going to be the guy that gets most of the the attention from the defense because you don't want to get beat underneath. You don't want to get beat in the paint. And so that leaves uh, really Mo Gibson, Elijah Harkis, and Jordan Goldwire as the guys who are going to – one of those three is going to get the mismatch. One of those three is going to be the guy with the favorable spot. And I believe that's why you've seen Jordan Goldwire's scoring just kind of bump up since he came to Oklahoma, because like I said earlier, the scoring is just a bonus. So you, you thought you were getting a, a high assist to turnover ratio guy, but you're getting that guy. In addition, you're, you're getting a high score, uh, a guy who is a double digit score potential every, every night. And so I do think they benefit from that because again, the, the defense is going to say, don't, don't let Tanner Groves beat you. Don't let him get underneath the basket. Don't let him beat you in the paint. And what that's going to do on the perimeter is going to give these guys, it's hard to say a three-point shot is a high percentage shot because it's really not, but it's going to give these guys the best opportunity to find the open shooter. And there's going to be open shooters. And that could be, we've seen games this this season, Rich, already in, in Oklahoma's first 12 games where every member of the starting five hit at least one three-point shot because that guy is going to be there. And what Porter Mosier is teaching them is be patient and wait for it. And it could be any guy on any night, on any possession. And I do think they benefit from that because as a defensive unit, you know, you got you to stop Groves underneath. But then what do you do after that? And so, yeah, I think, there's a, I think they're going to run into a lot of zone, 2-3 uh, zone um, type. That we saw Butler have some success with that in the second half uh, against OU when, when the Sooners lost that game. And, and, and we saw the result. They weren't, those shots weren't falling that night. The shots just weren't falling. Um, and, and I think you're going to see a lot of that once you get in the conference play. The, the last thing that I'm going to make statement-wise on this basketball team is I know that I've criticized the bench play defensively. However, what we saw against Alcorn State was not really a drop-off. And seemingly so. It didn't matter how far or how deep into the bench Porter Mosier went. He got the same defensive effort. What I'm really hoping this translates to, Matt, is because Oklahoma is going to start the season off with with pretty much a tall task, one after another, after another, after another, when we resume conference play basketball-wise, as well as 
when Oklahoma takes the court in January. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping that this Alcorn State was really a demonstration, not only of buying in to the system that these players are in, but the effort that we're going to get and this recognition or this realization that the, the level of competition is about to take a step up. This was the final two. Uh, yeah, they're going to they're play the tough, the most difficult part of the schedule. I mean, this the Big Twelve is the best basketball league in America, in my opinion. So yeah, it's absolutely mm-hmm. going to yeah. ramp up. Yeah, exactly. And so, like I said, I'm just hoping this is that realization of we have to put our best foot forward each and every mm-hmm. night if we're going to make a statement here in the Big Twelve. If we're going to upset a few of the teams, because we know that the Big Twelve right now has four teams in the top twenty-five and could potentially have seven there. By the time January hits, mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying that it's a hundred percent done deal, but Oklahoma's receiving votes. West Virginia is right there behind them at, at 26 and 27. And then you've got Oklahoma state as well, vying for some votes from those people who, who dictate the rankings each and every week. Right. You've said it, I'm echoing it. This is a difficult con uh, conference. And I'm hoping, as I've mentioned before, that this was really that turning point for the team. Well, and here's the thing is that you uh, – this is where reality sets in for Oklahoma. And and that Butler game, that Utah State game, those two losses are going to come back. And and that's, that's why they're not in the top 25. When we did our, our basketball preview for the website uh, for Wednesday's game, a lot of comments were, well, why is this team not ranked? Well, it's they're not ranked because they lost to Utah State and they lost to Butler. But you're in a position now with 10 wins that you, you go 500 in Big 12 play. 500 are better, and, and you're in the NCAA tournament, in my opinion. I, I think you know that magic number we've always talked about is 20. Well, you're halfway there. Um, you, go, you go 500 in Big 12 play. You get a, a win or two in Kansas City at the tournament, and, and you're in. But even I think if you get to 19 wins, if you're still 500 in conference play, you're, you're going to be in the NCAA tournament. So Oklahoma set itself up uh, nicely in the in – the, um, and the non-conference portion of the schedule, because the Big 12 is so tough that, you know, a nine and nine, a nine and nine run through the Big 12 would do really well for them. Okay, so that, that ends the non-football portion of the Sooner Nation podcast. We're going to jump into some football recruiting. The Sooners get a, a, a big, big transfer uh, commitment overnight from Tuesday night to Wednesday morning. Uh, we've the the Jaron Kanak uh, mystery has been resolved and much, much more. This is the Sooner Nation podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. One of the recruiting stories that we've been following closely, and if you've read the website, if you've uh, heard the podcast, you know uh, Jaron Kanak, the number one uh, recruit from the state of Kansas. Um, he's listed as an athlete position, a four-star recruit. Uh, Brent Venables recruited him as a outside linebacker. He had been committed to Clemson as Brent Venables had recruited him there. When Venables moved to Norman, Kanak was very quiet about what he was going to do. And, and in fact... There's still, to my knowledge, this is the 23rd of December, two days before Christmas. Kanak has still not officially made a commitment decision announcement about what he's doing 
other than the fact, Rich, other than the fact that he is enrolled at the University of Oklahoma for the spring semester. And so what this does is it it throws another four-star recruit into this 2022 recruiting class, the number six overall athlete in the class, the number one overall uh, prospect from the state of Kansas, sitting on 34 scholarship offers like Alabama wanted him, Clemson wanted him, Michigan wanted him. I mean, there, there's a lot of guys who are going after this kid. And there was, it was just crickets. It was just absolute crickets where everybody, you know, we posted on the website that he's going to, you know, he's going to uh, flip over to Oklahoma. Just about everybody expected it that follows recruiting, expected this to happen. Just no, no announcements from this kid. He just, and so much so, I, Baker Mayfield won the internet last week when it, the word got out. I guess that was this week when word got out that he just went and enrolled. He just went and enrolled at OU and uh, Baker Mayfield tweeted him. He's like, hey man, that, that's mad respect because sometimes you just got to take destiny in your own hands and go and, and enroll. But this is a kid that his his film is amazing. Honestly, it, we, and we've got it at, at heartland-sports.com. You want to go and, and look at some of the stuff on him. His game film is just absolutely absurd. It's probably the best game film that you will see from a prospect that Oklahoma has in this class. And that's saying a lot because there there are a lot of good prospects in this class. But at the end of the day, now you got two commitments for Oklahoma that are officially unsigned. That's Gentry Williams, who I believe is still very much a player um, uh, for USC and for some other schools. Our Arkansas is is heavy on Gentry Williams. He's committed to Oklahoma. But he's not signed yet. The number one player from the state of Oklahoma and Jaron Kanak, not signed yet. Number one, the number one player from the state of Kansas. I you know confidently can say Kanak will sign. On, on national signing day and he'll already be there in, in the spring semester. I'm still, I still got reasons to be concerned for Gentry Williams. Are, are you saying that Kanak has yet to commit or just yet to sign? Cause I, to my knowledge, I thought he had committed. No, I mean, he is um, now you're gonna make me pull him up on Twitter, but I, I know like the recruiting websites haven't committed mm -hmm. uh, and that's because he's enrolled at Oklahoma. But to my knowledge, um, he has not officially made an announcement. And the last time I, I wrote up on this kid, um, he, his Twitter handle, um, his Twitter handle actually said Clemson commit. And in fact, if you, if you look, I'm looking at his Twitter right now, uh, the probably still says the same thing. Huh? Yeah. It just says Clemson yeah. football commit. So, um, that, that's all I'm saying is the, the, the pin tweet from July 30th, on his Twitter feed is his commitment to Clemson. Mm -hmm. that, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I, obviously the recruiting sites, 24-7 rivals, right, they right. all have him as a hard commitment to Oklahoma because he's enrolled there. But I'm just saying from him personally, yeah, it's yeah. been really quiet. And and I honestly can see that side of the story, have, have some respect for it. Because here's an individual who did make a commitment to a university. A head coach is still there in Dabo Sweeney. He's not gone anywhere. And so maybe this is just, you know what? It's the two weeks of holidays. We're going to take it. We're going to relax. We're going to be lazy. We're going to do a whole lot of nothing. But when January comes, all those phone calls, all the proper lines of communication will have been established. And then that commitment to Oklahoma will come and he'll sign during the, I don't even know what you're supposed to call that. It's, it's still I national. Okay, it's I don't the call early, it the late it's, signing Yeah, it's the period. early, it's early signing regular. period, and then it's the national signing day. 
Okay. So I, I would expect him to sign in February, regardless yeah. of being enrolled or not. Um, but I also know that just because you enroll at a university does not commit you financially until the, the cutoff date. So there is that possibility. And I'm not saying that this is going to happen. I'm not making any kind of a bold prediction when it comes to this situation with this specific recruit that he will stay committed to Clemson and will actually compete in the fall there. I, I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that it does leave you a little bit of wiggle room just in case something does happen. Yeah, I, I think, like I said, I, I think I'm more solid on on this kid than I am on Gen- Oklahoma's number one recruit, Gentry Williams. Um, but that, I mean, well, you, you're right. They're crazy things, crazier things have happened in, in the past with Oklahoma football recruiting than this or, or, or than what that would be. So you're absolutely right. Um, late Wednesday night. Daniel um, Daniel Parker goes to Twitter and says he's committed to the University of Oklahoma. And 97% of Sooner Nation said, who's Daniel Parker? I mean, it's, it's just one of those things. He, he's a tight end out of Missouri um, who has, I mean, I, I think they found their, their replacement for Austin Stogner, to be honest with you. He's, he's only got, he's going to be a, a, a grad transfer or he's got one year of eligibility uh, remaining. I think he's going to be a grad transfer, but he, this last season, 12 passes, 97 yards, three touchdowns and his career at Missouri. He's only caught 41 receptions for 337 yards. Um, and, and so those, I mean, they're not, they're not eye popping numbers, but when you look at the potential for this kid, what he can be in this Jeff Levy offense. He was a member of the, of the 20, uh, 2018 recruiting class, but Rich, I'm looking at a guy who's six, three, 235 pounds as a tight end. That's, that's a lot of body, a lot of athleticism for Jeff Levy to figure out what to do with. And, and when you're looking at replacing a guy like Austin Stogner, you know, you're losing Jeremiah Hall as well. Braden Willis is up in the air I think Daniel Parker's a, a nice addition here. That's kind of a surprise to your to your recruiting class. You didn't you didn't expect him. I mean, he's been in the transfer portal since November 29th, so not quite a month in the portal. Um, let's then he lands in Norman, but this is a good addition to Oklahoma's class. Yeah, I think Oklahoma is slow playing the the transfer portal. I agree. at this point in time, and it's it's largely because of the vetting process. Brent Venables takes over and says they want to establish these connections. They do want to go through the proper channels and that they want to make sure that these are, are individuals of high character Mm -hmm. before they start courting those individuals, sending out the offers. In fact, I, I know Oklahoma, there's only one player in the transfer portal who has made it public that he's received any information more specifically has received an offer and invite to join the Oklahoma Sooners program. And it's Jared verse, a defensive end out of the university of Albany. Needless to say, Oklahoma with Parker does address an immediate need and you cannot blame them for doing so and doing so quietly. You lose a guy like an Austin Stogner, a traditional tight end. We've seen what the tight ends have been capable of in the past. I don't know that that's the same um, mold, that a tight end will fit in under under Levy that they did with Lincoln Riley, but it's still a necessity to have. How will the H-back role shift? 
Oklahoma has two players who are coming in who can play that tight end position, Caden Helms and Jason Llewellyn. You still need a, a player who you can plug in immediately mm-hmm. instead of relying on true freshmen to carry a right. majority of the load. So I, I like the move by Oklahoma. Did it come out of the blue? Absolutely. But it gives these younger guys a year to learn the system, a year to adjust to college life, a year to adjust to being away from home, adding strength, adding weight to those frames before stepping onto the role uh, onto the field in the role of a full-time contributor. Yeah, absolutely. There's two other names I want to throw out here to keep an eye on. Um, a couple of Fort Lauderdale, Florida teammates. Uh, you know, Brent Venables uh, was on location um, in Fort Lauderdale uh, last week visiting both of these guys, R. Mason Thomas um, and Ahmad Moten. Now, Thomas is a um, he's a current Iowa State commitment that a lot of people are now expecting to see him. Uh, transition over to to Oklahoma. Um, he's 6'2", 215. He's a he's an edge rusher, number eighteen edge rusher in the twenty twenty two class. And his teammate um, Ahmad Moten um, just released a top five uh, last week. And and obviously he had Oklahoma in the top five. Iowa State still in the mix there as well. Uh, but he's a, a big uh, interior defensive lineman, six three two ninety. So you'll see him kind of make a push at that defensive tackle. I don't, I don't know that he's going to get to nose guard uh, size. He might, but for sure that defensive tackle, you know, in, in with Jalen Redmond type type uh, position that he'd play for the university of Oklahoma, both of these guys, it looks like they want to play. They've played high school ball together. It looks like they want to play um, college football together and Oklahoma suddenly very much in the mix with both of these guys that would add to the 2022 recruiting class. Um, there's some other names out there still that, uh, that Oklahoma, I, th- this class, you, you, we, I feel like we've talked about it every podcast since the early signing period began, but clearly this class is not finished yet. Uh, you, you got offensive lineman positions that you're still in, in, in the mix with. You got running back positions that you're still in the mix with, but these are just some new names that are jumping in here. Oklahoma currently with the number two class in the big 12 and the number uh, nationally ranked number 10 class uh, in the conference. I still say, I, I don't know that you're going to catch K- Texas. Maybe you will, maybe you won't, but I, I can confidently say that, uh, that they will be higher than 10. I believe when it's all said and done in February. That's a fair assessment um, because we've, we've constantly said that this class isn't done. When it comes to Oklahoma, you know that they've signed 14. There's 16 potential names on that list. Now 17, and we're expecting that to grow, Mm -hmm. to balloon up. Closer to the number 20, if not over, in terms of recruits. So the only way to go for Oklahoma with that number of recruits is upwards because the point total and how things are evaluated on a national scale to set these rankings are all based on points. And by virtue of adding a name, regardless of star rating, you're adding points to that, that grand total as well. Oklahoma sitting in the top 10 now. I expect them to finish there, if not just a little bit higher. I'm not expecting a top five. Let's be real. I'm not expecting a top five recruiting class, especially without the five star power that we've seen some of the other programs pull and that are sitting in that top five currently. So I'm not expecting a top five, but seven, eight, I would be comfortable with. 
Fair enough. Um, how do you feel about bowl opt-outs? We're going to talk about that. The biggest surprise, Oklahoma uh, Too Deep is released for the bowl game. What are the surprises there? Uh, some coaching talk, and Rich is going to ask true or false questions. This is the Sooner Nation podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It's no surprise that when you play lower-tier bowl games, you have players opt out. Even, even in the Cotton Bowl last year, Oklahoma didn't have guys opt out, but Florida did, and... You know, Rich, when I said a lot, I said after the Texas game that if Oklahoma didn't make the playoffs, Spencer Rattler would not be with this team during the bowl game, and and he's not. And there's a couple other players, Jaden Hazelwood's not, you know, Austin Stogner's not. But then you got those guys that really Oklahoma helped push them towards their NFL careers. A guy like Isaiah Thomas, a guy like Perrion Winfrey, a guy like Nick Benito, a guy like Brian Osamoa. Why why did I bring those guys' names up specifically? Because all four of those guys have decided they're going to watch their teammates play and protect their their financial interest moving forward as they launch into NFL careers. And I don't know, I'll be honest with you, when when you ask um on our on our our, our script for this podcast, how do we feel about that? I don't I honestly Rich, I can't tell you how I feel about that. It, because I think it's I think it's different based on what do you have left to play for, right? I, th- I think if it's a New Year a New Year six bowl like the Cotton Bowl last year, I don't know you see this this I don't think you see four guys opt out because there's there's a little bit more to play for. Definitely if it's a playoff spot, if you're one of the top four, you don't see these guys opt out. But as you as you work your way down the the bowl ladder, right? Um, you know, of course you got Baylor, they're the top bowl team for the Big Twelve this year. Oklahoma State, the second top bowl team for the Big Twelve this year. Now you're you're third on the list now as as um, as, as the Sooners. So you're not going to the Sugar Bowl. You're not going to the Fiesta Bowl. You are going to the Alamo Bowl. And there are worse bowls. You know, we, the bowl season, a lot of people don't realize the bowl season has been going on for about a week now because there are worse bowls than the Alamo Bowl. But at the end of the day, if Oklahoma loses the Alamo Bowl in the middle of a coaching change, what really have they lost? I, I feel like what I'm seeing social media wise from Oklahoma fans, clearly there's, there's not an Oklahoma fan out there. Oh, I just want this team to lose and get the season over with. I mean, that's, that's a Texas mentality, but Oklahoma doesn't really have that mentality, but you don't really see a lot of people, uh, um, forecasting disappointment either if Oklahoma loses this bowl game. And so when you take away the value of what you're playing for, I think you're, you have a higher risk of guys opting out. Now, as a fan, what do I prefer? I prefer to see, Perrin Winfrey in the middle of that defensive line going up against a, a very explosive Oregon offense. That's what I prefer. But also at the end of the day, I realize 
look, Nick Benito right now is probably the highest rated draft guy of these four. So an injury to a Perrion Winfrey, an injury to an Isaiah Thomas, uh, you know, an injury to Brian Osamoa, where they are not able to a month or so later go and have a good workout at the NFL Combine, it could cost them hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. And so I do feel like I, I, I definitely get that aspect. I get that business side of it. I do wish, on the other hand, though, I wish every collegiate athlete had the Kennedy Brooks mentality, the Kennedy Brooks approach that, yeah, guys, if you want to have an honest conversation, I'm probably done after this game. This is probably my last time lacing up in the crimson and cream, but I'm not going to miss this. I started this season. I'm going to finish this season, and then we'll see what happens. I wish they all had that type of mentality, but the reality of the situation is they don't, and I have a hard time. I'm going to say this. Here's here's how I'm going to say it. I have a hard time getting upset over that mentality while I am absolutely disappointed in that mentality. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And here's one of the things is that the, the NFL does not place a priority on players playing in a bowl game. Right. It's not. Well, the, I don't know. I don't know about that. I, I do think there is a. The NFL. Yeah, I do think the NFL is going to. They they will definitely know Isaiah Thomas did not play in the ball game. They will know. But I I don't I don't know is it going to take a lot of points off? It's like your driver's mm-hmm. test, you know. You're taking your driver's test. You right. you know you can do certain like uh, uh, way way too much information category. I didn't even parallel park on my driver's test. The guy was like, "You have to try." I said, "Okay." I can't do it. I mean, I'm 16. I grew up in the, in the kind of the rural area. And I grew up in Spencer, Oklahoma. There's no place in Spencer, Oklahoma that you have to parallel park, right? You got to go into the big suburbs of Dell City, Midwest City to parallel park. I didn't even try. I was like, I told the guy, I can't do it. And he was like, well, you have to try. So true story, I pulled the car in nose first to the curb, nose first to the curb. And I looked at him and said, okay, I tried. He's like, are you serious? I was like, yeah, because I knew I could not parallel park and I could still get my driver's license. I think these guys know the NFL will note, Hey, you didn't, you weren't there for your team in the bowl game. You are a guy who has a tendency to look out for your better interest. And, and the reason you can say that is because Kennedy Brooks will also be noted for his loyalty to, to lacing up and going out and risking it in this bowl game. He's, he's a team first guy. Kennedy Brooks will have a different label on his draft sheet than Isaiah Thomas Perry and Winfrey Nick Benito. If they're going to notice it for Kennedy Brooks, that means they're going to notice it for these other four guys that aren't playing. Does that mean they're not going to get drafted? No, Mm. it's like parallel parking. I I know I can't parallel park. I can get a driver's license. You cannot play in the bowl game. Even though it's noted, you'll still get drafted. (laughs) The biggest thing that I believe where this argument comes into play is in the interviews. Yeah, because I can, I can almost guarantee you People want an answer. Mm-hmm. They want a reason as to why. Um, but it's also going to come up for those who opted out of entire seasons, a la Kennedy Brooks. I don't think so because he – no, it, I think you're you're looking at two different things because you got NFL guys who opted out. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, there, there's a – I think there's a difference. But, but for that, Kennedy Brooks, why why come back to the university? Why because, play another college season? Because you need – I mean you, you had two 1,000-yard seasons. Now you've got three 1,000-yard seasons. Kennedy Brooks – He clearly didn't miss a beat. No. I mean no. He and, and he came back in and, and he proved, number one, he he wants to play. He wants to be in college. He wants to get more film out on himself. But also he's 
by by playing in this bowl game, it erases anything that that would have been a negative mark for opting out of 2020. I think if he opts out of 2020 and then goes into the NFL draft after this season, after having having not played this season, but then then you get a mark. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But the fact that he came back, he came back and stayed healthy through is going to be what 13 games. Um, and he again logged another 1,000 yards. They're not going to care that he opted out. The the reason that I'm putting this on our docket, the reason that I had it listed there, Matt, was largely because I I think the bowl game format has drastically changed. And it started with the BCS. It's not a college football playoff problem. It was a BCS problem, a BCS era problem as well when those rankings were released. Why? Because you took away the possibility of players completing or completing competing and completing the season, but competing for that national championship based upon the product on the field, the quality of your opponents, as well as the perception of the voters. Mm-hmm. It's why when you look back in the day before the BCS era was ever established, that just because you 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 were ranked number one or number two didn't mean you necessarily won the national championship that year. It gave it gave these bowl games one a lot of allure for a player who thought their team possibly deserved that national championship, but two, it also from an outsider's perspective, someone who's not in the game made those more desirable to watch. But when I watch these these opt-outs happen, the only thing that I can think of the the only comparison that I can draw is the NBA mm-hmm. and you pay good money for a ticket to watch a specific team, largely because you want to see specific players right. play and then they opt out. Well, that money, it's not refundable at that point in time. There's no exchange in return to you when those players opt out of the, the bowl game for Oklahoma fans. I get it. Um, a lot of the opt outs are on the defensive side of the ball. Um, Oklahoma fans love offense. Do we want to see the defense come along? Yes. It doesn't have as big of an impact, but let's take for, for instance, is it old miss whose quarterback has opted out? No, I think Matt Corral said he's staying. I think he said he's playing Who's the in the quarterback that's opted out for the NFL draft. Well, uh, Pittsburgh's Pittsburgh, quarterback. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. That one changes the dynamic completely. Yeah. That'll, change, go, that'll change betting lines. I don't, you know, I don't want to go and see the backup play. Mm-hmm. I want to see a, a top draft pick play in that bowl game. Right. You, you know what I mean? You understand where I'm coming no, from? No, I do. But also you get, you get down to that level and, and really it's, it's hardcore fans who are going to those type of bowls. Let Not, me ask your, your average college football fans. They may go to a new year six bowl. They, they may go to the, the, the playoff, you know, the college football playoff bowl games, but re- really, I, I mean, I, I don't know how, how big of a national fan base Pittsburgh is going to draw for mm-hmm. their bowl game. And ironically, it's interesting that Lincoln Riley just lost his quarterback from Southern California to go to Pitt and, and, and play there next year. Anyway, go ahead. Let, I, I, I digress. You're good. Let me, let me ask it this way. Um, because this is one thing that I think is interesting and it's, it's usually an argument that centers around money. Mm-hmm. It's usually the argument over potential earnings as well as injury, you injure yourself. You've meant it. The comp or already mentioned it. The combine starts at the end of February mm-hmm. and at the beginning of March, depending on what position group you're in and how those days are staggered out so that you start those workouts to essentially the biggest audition, the biggest interview of your life for a potential career at the highest level 
of football, signing multi-million dollar contracts. That's very appealing to a college athlete. However, college athletes have never had access to the NIL that's now established. Right. Does that change or potentially change the mentality as players approach these bowl games and saying, I could have one stellar game. Think about March Madness. Right, right. One one stellar game all of a sudden elevates you to this status not seen before. Um, I'm, I can't remember the kid's name. He was a first round NBA draft pick, hit that game winning shot for Gonzaga to put them into the championship against Baylor, a game that they eventually lost. Needless to say, that moment will forever live in infamy because of that singular shot and his name will forever be tied to it. Whether I can remember it or not is not part of this story. Um, but what I'm saying is with that NIL and the potential to earn money, does that change or potentially change the mindset and the mentality towards the bowl games? I know you can't answer that because you're not a player. Well, I'm just saying the guys that are opting out are, I I mean, look, Nick Benito is going to be a multimillionaire. Perrin Winfrey is going to be a multimillionaire. I, I, I think guys like a, a Caleb Williams is probably a guy who, and a Caleb Williams is going to be a multimillionaire, but he's a freshman. He's a true freshman. Regardless of what happens in this bowl game, regardless of what happens with the transfer portal, Caleb Williams has at least two more years of college football and under his belt. So I think that 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 situation applies more to a guy like Caleb Williams, who's a dynamic figurehead type player, but a young guy. It applies more to him than it does to a Nick Benito or a Perry and Winfrey, who they're they're out the door. I mean, you go to this bowl game. And on the other side of this bowl game, whether you play in it or not, on the other side of this bowl game are millions of dollars. And I think, I, I, is the NIL going to change things? Yes. It already has, and it will continue to uh, evolve in changing things. But I think the, the scenario that you're laying out here is more for a younger guy uh, that, that can go and make that big play. Think about the play Caleb Williams made against Texas, right? the 66-yard touchdown run. That's going to be an iconic play. We, we're going to see that play over and again for the next few seasons. We're going to see that play. And, and the more Caleb Williams has success, the more we're going to see that play. He's a young guy, and he can, he can with the NIL, he can profit from that. But I, I, there's nothing that Perry and Winfrey is going to do in this bowl game. There's nothing that Nick Benito is going to do in this bowl game that's going to bring in dollars that's going to compare to what the NFL is going to offer them on the other side of the ball game. So that's why I don't think that scenario plays out as well for these guys as mm -hmm. it would for a younger guy, not just a younger guy, but a guy on the offensive side of the ball. And, and I mentioned that I alluded right. to the fact that the defense doesn't always get the praise. There are names that emerge as these extremely talented, but likable guys who mm -hmm. become the face of, of the program. I can think of that happening at Notre Dame on, on two occasions within the past 10 years. When you look at Oklahoma though, it is the offensive side of the ball. When you look at the big 12 in general, it's typically the offensive side of the ball that's receiving the praise ergo receiving the bigger deals for that NIL, as well as what's what's when, when I look at the NFL, what's the risk versus the reward. Mm-hmm. That will be a discussion for a later time, I'm sure, because we're just at the beginning of how the NIL is going to affect college athletics. In fact, we're just learning some of the long-term effects that the transfer portal is right. going to have. 
Yeah, I, that's in essence, that's a solid, a very, very solid point. Let's move along in the conversation. Uh, depth chart is out for Oklahoma in regards to the bowl game. Just a couple of quick notes here. Ralph Rucker is officially the number two quarterback uh, behind Caleb Williams. That, that gives you two true freshmen. What are you, what are you laughing at? Man, because that, that's the biggest surprise for me. Um, you just went right for it. Well, I'm just I'm just throwing out some notes, and these are just my general notes. Uh, Ralph Rucker, uh, number two at the quarterback. Uh, running backs say exactly the same. Uh, of course, H-back, you, you lose Austin Stogner, so you got Jeremiah Hall, Braden Willis. Offensive line remains the exact same as it was. The, there is a little bit of a surprise here, but it's all about health. Andrew Rame, uh, the center position is listed as Andrew Rame or Robert Conjol. Um, and so we'll see how that plays out. At the receiver position, uh, Trevon West replaces uh, Jaden Hazelwood as the X receiver. Then you got Marvin Mims backed up by Drake Stoops, Michael Woods backed up by Mario Williams, Theo Weiss is the backup for Trevon West. Here's where you really get into the the biggest changes um, uh, on the Oklahoma's defense is in the front seven. Uh, you've got Reggie Grimes now, who steps in for Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Coe was elevated from number three at the nose guard position to uh, to number one. Is he so he he leapt over Corey Robertson and is the listed as the number one uh, nose guard on the depth chart. Of course, Jalen Redmond stays as the defensive tackle. He's backed up by Josh Ellison. When you go over to the linebacker spot, you got a little bit of a uh, a little bit of flopping here uh, of positions where Deshaun White uh, will now be the starting weak side linebacker. That makes uh, David Aguebu the hands-on starting middle linebacker. And then at the rush, you've got Marcus Stripling and then Brendan Walker, Rich, as number two at that rush linebacker spot. When you go to the uh, the defensive secondary, this is the most um, – what's the word I'm looking for? The most solid uh, group on the defense as far as as keeping the same guys but again you see some position swapping here where key lawrence is pushing dj graham on one side of the field key lawrence initially was listed as woody washington's backup now it's it's uh opposite of woody washington you got dj graham or key lawrence and Jaden davis is swapping over to be the backup behind Woody Washington. You got a, a little bit of a competition at Nickelback, Justin Broyles or the freshman Billy Bowman. And then of course your, your safeties. Um, you've got um, uh, Delarian Turner yell at the strong safety, Pat Fields at the, uh, at the free safety. So there's your, your quick too deep heading into the bowl game for me, honestly, Rich, um, I, I think I, I look at uh, Brendan Walker, uh, a, a very limited experience guy uh, backing up Marcus Stripling at that rush linebacker spot to replace um, to re- replace Nick Benito. Uh, that that's a big that that just in the in the realm of, of scheme in the realm of things. I'm just looking because you know they rotate those guys in, so you knew you were going to get a glimpse of the future. You knew inexperienced guys were going to get on the field, but that one just kind of caught me off guard. And then I wasn't. I wasn't surprised by this because I kind of, if you listen to the podcast, I've called this thing happening, but to see the confirmation that Isaiah Coe is going to be the guy to replace Perry and Winfrey at the nose guard. And I, I think this guy has a very, very bright future ahead of him. He's just a junior. I would suspect if his, uh, if the trajectory takes hold, it'll go right into uh, next year being his final season as a senior. Yeah. Um, the biggest surprises for me, Matt, I've already mentioned at the quarterback position. 
I'm not going to tag on to what you've said. Um, and the second one on the defensive side of the ball for me would have been Key Lawrence as a backup at cornerback as well as safety. I really thought that at the latter half of the season, he was a guy who cemented himself as mm-hmm. a contributor on this team and not in a backup well, role. But I, he's, I not, get... he's not a, necessarily a backup. He could be a star. It's, it's DJ Graham or Key Lawrence mm-hmm. at the corner spot. So it could go either way. It he, could go either way. When, when you have an or position, unless there's an injury, for example, Andrew Rame, Robert Conjol, Andrew Rame's still de- dealing with an injury. If, if Andrew Rame doesn't play in this game, mm-hmm. it's going to be because injury-related. Neither one of these guys are dealing with an injury. So DJ Graham and Key Lawrence will both play that corner position. Right. Um, again, it's it's really a matter of principle for me. Okay. And I, I had said this earlier in the season. I know the situation has changed since I made this comment, but Key Lawrence and his future for me at the University of Oklahoma was as a cornerback. And you saw the productivity. You saw the ability to get into the backfield. You saw pass breakups. You saw forced fumbles Mm -hmm. from that position from Key Lawrence. And while DJ Graham, I still hold to the fact that he has the greatest catch of the season, regardless of position, has the greatest catch of the season, despite the negative yardage on it. (laughs) Still an incredible catch. I just don't know that he's solidified or locked up that position for me. Mm -hmm. Very talented, very athletic, has a home on this team. I just want the best players on the field, the best 11 at any given time, which brings me back to the quarterback position because Yes, Caleb Williams is with this team. I know there's a lot of questions that still surround his future. Um, We're not here to discuss that. What I wanted to to discuss is who is Ralph Rucker? I I I fully I fully expected a name like Micah Bowens. No, I mean they made it pretty clear early in the season that there's not a lot of trust for Micah Bowens just yet. Um, I'm not saying Micah Bowens is done at the University of Oklahoma, but they're just catching up, whether it's it's ball protection or catching up with the offense or whatever. There's not a lot of trust. And Ralph Rucker was a, a very underrated recruit. He he was a, he's a walk on. He was a late addition to the to the 2021 class, but he's a guy that was a three sport player in in high school. Uh, he was a all district offensive MVP in high school uh, in football. They they lost. They were bounced out of the playoffs by less than a touchdown to the eventual state champion uh, in 6A Texas football. And the re- honestly, I, I can't remember who it was that bounced him. I don't, I don't have that much of a recollection for Texas high school football. But he's a, he's a very, um, he, he's a dual threat guy. He's an athletic guy, and I, clearly, he's a guy that they trust. I, I think people that follow recruiting would would tell you they know who Ralph Rucker is. It was a it was a guy that that kind of had a preferred walk on opportunity or a division, you know, a lower division FCS mm-hmm. type type thing. I, I think in this situation, the only way you see Ralph Rucker is if it's either a garbage time or an injury, and that's where it becomes uh, concerning for me is on the injury front. But um, well, but don't no, don't I, forget Tanner Schaefer is still on this roster. Yeah, I think, and I, he's routinely yeah. found himself in this this role. Right. No, I, I think they're just kind of looking towards the future here. No, uh, I agree. And, and that's why they're going that way. This is that opportunity to get experience against a quality opponent, which I know the game is is less than a week away at this point in time. By a day when we're recording this on Thursday, December, what is it, 23rd? 23rd. 
So we're less than a week away from the game. And, and Matt, I'm going to make this statement, even though we're not previewing the game, is this is Oklahoma's opportunity to get the best one of their, their season. I'm trying to think through that. I, I think that's probably true. Was well, it, it'll, is Kansas State the best win that they have is. at this point? It yeah, is. That, that's yeah. You, you're going to beat a team that played in the Pac-12 mm-hmm. championship game. So yeah, you're, you're right. You're right. Well, thank you. <laughs> hey, let's let's talk coaching staff real fast. Um, most recently, Brent Venables announced the hirings of Miguel Chavis, who's going to coach defensive ends, Brandon Hall, who is going to coach safeties, Jerry Schmidt, who's going to come back strength and conditioning. We've we've talked about, be it on the website or be it in the podcast, we we've talked about how this game is a audition for younger players for the Brent Venables system that's going to go into place next season. I I think also this might be an audition for a guy like Will Johnson, a former Oklahoma football player who was elevated from a graduate assistant job to help coach defensive backs. There's still a a vacant cornerbacks job out there uh, as far as I'm aware of with this Brent Venables coaching staff. And I just wonder if a guy like, like Will Johnson, excuse me, could he coach his way into a, a full-time gig to replace Roy Manning through this situation? Could he? The answer is yes. Unfortunately, I don't think that he would be the top target. If I was the individual calling all the shots, Mm. in other words, if I'm sitting there in Brent Venable's shoes, while it's an appealing option, there's so much at play when it comes to assistant coaches. Right. You don't have to – let me rephrase that. You don't get the luxury of having only to deal with the X's and O's. And the players that are entrusted to you be, by virtue of you being their position coach right. at the college level, you also have to consider recruiting ability. Placing your trust as a head coach into one of your assistants to send them out to be a recruiter on their own does have a factor in this decision. And for me, I know this is going to come as a little bit of a surprise, um, but I think the the best guy for this role at the University of Oklahoma, who is available, by the way, is Dante Williams from guess where? None other than USC. USC. Matt, let me explain why. No, no, I, because I, I know I, I, I know I you're it. weighing that that, no, that just, answer in your mind. I, I, I think, and here's why: because I really thought you were going to go after like a guy like Mike Reed or somebody like mm-hmm. that, which from makes Clemson. sense, right? That, but that's why I paused. I, mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting you to that to be the, the first name to come out of your mouth, right? <laughs> right. Dante, but go ahead. Here's here's, your here's why I like Dante Williams, though. One, he has experience mm-hmm. in that role. Yes, I know he was the interim coach at USC before they hired Lincoln Riley. He's currently without a home, so to speak, but he's also a guy whose name has a lot of resonance on the West right, Coast. Right. Brent Venables coming from the East Coast, I think he could lock a lot of that side of the United States up, at least in terms of familiarity with a name. Oklahoma doesn't have that guy on their on their current coaching staff. They don't have that guy to to really go toe-to-toe with Lincoln Riley on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Dante Williams brings a recruiting ability. Um, We saw him, I believe he was in on four of the top rated recruits, a couple of five stars, a couple of four stars that USC was recruiting and was having a lot of success. Well, he was in on Zion Branch, which was the biggest thing that Oklahoma fans Mm -hmm. will know. Right. Before things shifted at USC. Needless to say, I think he's proven himself 
as a recruiter, I don't know that he's looking for a head coach position. I think he's looking just to get his foot back into the door after what's transpired. Of course, having a home is nicer than not. Having one and earning a paycheck is nicer than not earning one. He'll land somewhere. I just have my fingers crossed that it's Oklahoma. And like I said, it's because of those ties to the West Coast. If Oklahoma wants to be competitive on a national level, that's going to be important recruiting grounds for the foreseeable future. Very true. All right, we got one more segment coming up. It's the true or false segment, and Rich is leading the way on that one. True or false, Rich has uh, five statements, questions, suggestions, whatever. I'm going to say whether they're true or the false. Or I'm going to say why. You can always participate in this at heartland-sports.com by leaving a comment or hitting us up on Twitter at Sports Heartland. Rich, here we go. Man, I, I'm going to throw you a couple of softballs here, and, and I'm going to run it in the same direction that this podcast is running in. So we're going to start at the very top with basketball. You mentioned at the when during that segment that Oklahoma is already at the 10-1 mark, that they mm-hmm. simply need to go 500 in conference play in order to hit the magical number of 20 and to possibly punch their ticket into the NCAA tournament. So true or false, Oklahoma does make the NCAA tournament this year. Holy cow. I wasn't ready for that one. Uh, all right, let me think through. So you got Bedlam. I think you can win one of two there. Uh, TCU. I'm just trying to think, are there nine wins or 10 wins in conference play? I'm going to say true. I'm, I'm going to say this team, they may have to use Kansas City in the Big 12 tournament to get them there. Keep in mind, the Big 12 is going to be short a representative because Oklahoma State cannot, regardless of the record, Oklahoma State at this point cannot play in the Big 12 tournament and they cannot play in the NCAA tournament. So that leaves a spot open for a team that might be either right at 500 or just below it. So I think it's a year where things are going well for them. They're going to pick up a a big win on the road. They're going to upset somebody on the road. They're going to do their best to protect their home court. I say, yes, they're going to be in the NCAA tournament. With basketball, there's still a lot of, of things that have yet to be decided. And it's a difficult question, I know, to answer at this point in the season, knowing that they've only played a third of the games that we'll see them play, knowing that we've learned a little bit about this team, but we we haven't really solidified who they are and what they're truly capable mm-hmm. of. I'm going to agree with you and say that this is a team that is capable of making the NCAA tournament, and I do think they get there largely because of the reasons we talked about earlier. It's extremely, extremely solid defense through the first 12 games of the season. But more than that, it's the, the shot selection, right. um, which I think Oklahoma has done a phenomenal job of doing as a team in picking shots that they know that they can make. They are going to be a tough draw for anybody, in my opinion, and that includes in-conference play. We're going to see some very competitive games here, whether that's against Baylor, Kansas, Texas, or whether that's against some of the the cellar dwellers. We don't really know where Iowa State sits is why I didn't include them, Mm -hmm. but a a TCU, an Oklahoma State, some of these that are a little more on par with where we believe Oklahoma to be. So without any further ado, let me jump into question number two, because Matt, we started talking about recruiting after the fact, after we talked basketball. So number one, this is really a two-part true or false, and I've separated it into two separate statements. Number one is there will be no more departures from this roster heading into 2022, aside from possibly Kennedy Brooks. So yeah, you're talking talking about transfer portal and... No, no, no. Like I said, this is a two-part question. Any departures from the current roster? So in general. 
Yeah, aside from no, I, I think it's false. I, I you you've got some guys. Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, you got one offensive lineman in Eric Swenson who he's got to go. I mean, he's mm. he's a super senior, so he doesn't have a choice. You've got some guys along that offensive line who got who are going to get graded out high enough to go in the NFL draft, but do they want to come back and get a higher grade? So that's the option that they've got away. The only two guys, you've only got two guys on that offensive line too deep right now. You only have two guys who are not eligible to go into the NFL draft. So that means and the two deep, you've got several guys who have big decisions to make. Um, and I think you look at the defensive secondary, a guy like uh, a guy like Pat Fields, a guy like DeLaren Turner, y'all who could come back, but think about, what the uh, what the bowl game did for Trey Norwood last year, right? Right. Trey Norwood gets that pick six. Suddenly, he's an NFL draft guy, and mm, and that, so, so they shouldn't be opting out of bowl games. Is that what? Well, you're I'm telling just me? saying there's there's always a chance. <laughs> oh, I'm teasing. Um, no, that, that's it's. A, I mean, it's a great point how the bowl game elevated mm-hmm. his draft stock, and so uh, Pat Fields, DeLarian Turner, Yell, they've got a decision to make as it is, but a big game against Oregon could push them across the edge. So I'm going to say that's false. I, I think you are going to see guys leave this roster after the ball game. Okay. The second portion of that question was, we know that Oklahoma's class, it, at least it feels a little bit light, mm-hmm. which in turn, true or false will, will force Oklahoma to utilize the transfer portal. Like they haven't done in the past. No, I think that's false uh, for two reasons. Number number one, I, I think that the class is going to fill out. I, I I've said this all along. I, I really feel like this class is going to be a very solid class. It's a top 10 class. It's going to have close to 20 players in it uh, as a, as a, as a floor uh, before it's all said and done. So I do think they're going to use the transfer portal. We've already seen it once. We, we talked about in this podcast with the tight end coming out of Missouri. Um, there's going to be other guys who come out of the transfer portal, but I think it's going to be very selective. And so in, in this aspect, maybe you're true. It's going to be very selective and they're not going to go just to get bodies. It's not going to be a numbers game. They've got to have a role. They've got to fit. There's got to be a purpose for them coming. And Rich, you, you and I have talked about this in previous podcasts going way back to Perry on Winfrey and those guys. If you come out of the transfer portal, whether you're coming from junior college or whether you're coming from, you know, another division one school like Mike Woods in Arkansas last year, you got to be an immediate fit. There's no time to develop you. You've got to fit with what they need and be ready to go day one. And I think this, this staff is very much going to keep that, that perspective to it. Uh, so no, I don't, I don't think they're going to go crazy with the transfer portal at all. Okay. That's <laughs> not what I was expecting <laughs> you to say at all. Um, I, I, I want to shift the focus um, from here because I, I think it's easy, especially for myself, to get caught up when we talk about recruiting and feeling as though things are normal. Like mm-hmm. it's it's a normal pre-pandemic, pre-transfer portal kind of year where Oklahoma will sign 24, 25, 26 players. And my mentality is still in that rut. Whereas again, I don't think that's the case. Um, largely because there's... I guess what I'm saying is I need to come to grips with reality because you have the free year of eligibility for a lot of players who would have transitioned out by virtue of graduation. That's not happening for them. And so there's not this pressing need. You also had players who opted out of an entire season on top of that Mm -hmm. and basically gained or retained two years of eligibility by not playing a season. 
it's changed the equation completely and changed the outlook and really how you have to approach and manage your current roster. Patty Gasso was very open about that during that discussion. And now we're seeing uh, play out a little bit on, on the football scale, even though you have 85 scholarships mm-hmm. to her handful. Right. Um, so I get apples to oranges in this situation, but we are seeing that affect it. And I just, Need to maybe tweak my mindset. Matt, I, I wanted to focus a, a little bit on the game that is coming up the Alamo Bowl. And the first true or false statement that I've got for you when it pertains to this game is Oklahoma took a week off, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, Lincoln Riley transitions out. Bob Stoops comes in as the interim There's no head coach that's been announced at that point in time, but Bob Stoops immediately gets to work in making home visits with recruits to stabilize this class. Right. So we know that there weren't practices being held. And if they were, they were like spring spring practices versus getting ready for a game and game preparation week. With that week off, true or false, Oklahoma's at a disadvantage against Oregon. That's false because the majority of, of colleges take that week off, that week after the final. And unless you're playing in a conference championship game. Now, Oregon did play in a conference championship game, so they took their week off after the conference championship game. But everybody gets a, a pause. Everybody gets a, a break. Everybody gets a chance to heal up, catch your breath. You work and you focus on fundamentals and so forth. I, I don't think – there, there are things in this game that are going to be a disadvantage towards Oklahoma. Uh, the most notable is going to be the the front seven and, and the, the four departures you have uh, on the defensive front seven. Um, I, but I, I don't I, – there's going to be clear advantages that Oklahoma has as well, and one of those advantages is Bob Stoops on the sidelines. Um, all that said, this is not – to me, this is a non-factor. This is a non-issue. This wh- Whether Oklahoma wins or loses the Alamo Bowl – that week of turmoil isn't going to factor in. If anything, that week uh, it bonded this team even more tightly coming off of a bedlam loss than it did to hurt them. It, it brought them closer together because everybody, I mean, absolutely everybody was, uh, I, mean, they, they, I mean, Lincoln Riley pulled wool over the eyes. I mean, he, he, he duped everyone on this and now it's coming out for sure. Um, that that they were, in fact, talking since late September, early October. This has been something that's going been going on. And Lincoln Riley was talking to USC by proxy. Um, but um, but but the reality is that I think if any if there's any advantage or disadvantage to that week, it's that it brought this team, the guys that are still there, it brought them closer together. There were guys that are always going to be gone. Spencer Rattler was always going to be gone. I think Jaden Hazelwood was always going to be gone. Um, there were guys that overreacted, like, um, you know, Theo Weiss is, a, is a, a good one. You know, overreaction, jumps in the transfer portal. Bray Walker, overreaction, jumps in the transfer portal. And that week of quietness, that week of silence, really kind of let them think and think through the process and kind of weigh their options. And that's why you saw them jump back out at the transfer portal back in Norman. So I don't, I don't think that week is going to have any, any negative effect at all on the bowl game. Talk, talking about Bob Stoops <laughs> effect on this game, effect in recruiting. Um, one of the questions that, that I do have to pose to you and not a question, a true or false statement is let me start by saying this. Bob Stoops is considered a legend at the University of Oklahoma. Having only won one national championship, I think there's a level of prestige mm-hmm. that has been assigned to him. 
And I get that it was early on in his career, but he sustained a certain level of success, whether playing for the national championship or not. And there's this stigma that comes with his name, more so with his person being on the sideline. So true or false, Bob Stoops' presence on the sideline demands a a higher level of performance from the players. No, I I think... I think I have to say true here because even even a guy like Perrin Winfrey, who's not playing in this game, he tweeted out, I'm going to tell my kids I was coached by a legend. So, yeah, there, there's something. I mean, with all due respect to Oregon, they're going to be looking across the field at the visor and a Hall of Fame coach. <laughs> I mean that, and he's the interim guy. I mean, and how many, how many programs? When you talk about the prestige of a program, and you talk about is this a blue blood? Okay, tell me how many programs in the country can can call up a Hall of Fame coach out of the bullpen to come in in the interim capacity? Not not very many, if any, can do that other than the University of Oklahoma. And and so I I do think there there's just Bob Stoops even said he was taken back by the play the current players and the recruits he was visiting he was taken back with the, what they knew about him what they thought about him the respect level that they had for him so yeah um keep in mind also that Bob Stoops came in last year when Alex Grinch was out with covid Bob Stoops came in and coached this defense to help them get ready for I believe it was the Baylor game and and so these guys know Bob Stoops they they respond to Bob Stoops and I do think they I do think they want to play at a at a a high level for Bob Stoops, but they also kind of want to play at a high level, I believe, to kind of give the finger to Lincoln Riley. When you talk about legendary Hall of Fame type coaches that you can just call off the sideline, do you do you ever think Lou Holtz would step in at Notre no, Dame? No, he's no, no, zero chance, zero chance. Okay. I mean, look, I'm j- just out of curiosity the gap because you between, talk about the gap with Lou Holtz and Notre Dame is way, 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 way far it, more reaching than Bob but, Stoops. Had. But Lou Holtz, that's a name that people are familiar with. Yeah, but I don't think Lou Holtz is a guy that can can really can have a commanding presence. I think I mean, Father Time's caught up with Lou Holtz. The only undefeated in sports is Father Time. And and I think Father Time is is going to have its way with Lou Holtz in that in that in that situation. Okay. Lou Holtz yeah. isn't going to go hit the recruiting trail. He's not going to spend the time in the film room. He's not, no, the, the no, answer is no. And he, while he wouldn't do those things, I could easily see him on a sideline though. Hey, he can come in and give a pregame mm-hmm. speech. I think spit all over everybody. No, that was shut bad. It, I should have said it. that, but he, I think he could come in and give a, <laughs> give a, 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 a pregame speech, an inspirational win one for the Gipper type thing. Since we're talking about Notre Dame, I don't think he's the guy that can come in and do everything that's required to lead them to a bowl game. Okay. I, I'm not, I don't have any rebuttal for you. That's it for me. That's number five. All right. Well, hey, we want to say Merry Christmas to you guys. Uh, we'll be back Sunday to really give our complete breakdown of the Alamo Bowl, Oklahoma, and Oregon. But in the meantime, uh, we wish you nothing but the best. We wish you health. We wish you happiness as you celebrate um, Christmas with your family. Boomer Sooner, everybody.